We are going to be closing out a section of Genesis today, and so because of that, I'm going to reiterate some things that are important for uh, this section, and then also for uh, what we are closing out, and just for our study through through Genesis. So I've asked you to turn to Genesis chapter one, as uh, we've been working our way through, and uh, you'll remember that we started a few weeks ago in uh, Genesis one, in the opening verses, it says, in the beginning, uh, the first couple of verses, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. Now, when we were there and we walked through that, one of the things that we said was that as creation began, God's Spirit was there, the earth was formless and and void, and God's spirit was there, but that didn't change anything. And so we talked about how nothing changed until God spoke. And we talked about the importance of words. One of the things that we're going to find as we travel through the book of Genesis is that there's this theme about the power of our words and how God uses those to to shape our situations, our world, our relationships. And we're going to talk about that. I just wanted to highlight that just uh, as we go. But then God, as he created, we went all the way down to verse 27 And we highlighted there uh, that man was created in the image of God. And so uh, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And uh, so when we were there, we talked about how God creates man, but it's male and female together, and uh, we create a more complete picture of the image of God. And so we talked about that, but we also talked about as you relate to God, that, that there's so much that you and I can learn about God by looking at ourselves because we are created in the image of God. We're unique in the creation. And, and, and so we said that, that, that uh, the animal kingdom, when they have offspring, you know, they don't really care that their offspring do well financially or that they have good relationships or, or that they live healthy lives or, or that they flourish in any way. That's not really part of what they, they think about. But, but you and I, we care about our children that they grow up and that they do well financially and that they have good relationships and that they have health. And, and the reason that we care that way is because unlike the animal kingdom, we are created in the image of God. So we get that because we are created in God's image. And, and because we're created in God's image, uh, many of us, and, and, and uh, we know somebody, or maybe we've done this, but if our kids, because we're created in the image of God, if our kids go out and do something and they make a real mess of their lives, um, that we care about that. And, and we know people, maybe you've done this, who've spent inordinate amount of money, uh, life fortunes, in order to correct the mess that they're, some of you are like nodding your head, to, to, to correct the mess that, that our children ha- have made. Now, why do we do that? Well, you, you do that because unlike the rest of creation, 
you are created in the image of God. So you get that from being created in, in his image. Well, we, we talked about that. And then we went into chapter two. And in chapter two, we talked about the, the Garden of Eden and how God placed man in the Garden of Eden. And we talked about how, because uh, we're created in the image of God, when our babies come home from the hospital, we, we want the room to be just right. We prepare everything so that the baby comes in and, and everything is just right. Well, we get that from being created in the image of God. And, and so we talked about uh, how when man was in the garden, uh, he was that, that was the picture of God's will. But, but something happened, sin entered in, and man's situation changed. But, but God didn't change. And, we, and we, we looked at verses that would say things like, um, Jesus, is the, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And verses where it says, I am the Lord and I do not change. God never changes. So in the garden, we saw God's will but sin entered in, and uh, our situation changed, but, but God's will never changed. He didn't change, our situation changed. And so when they came to Jesus, and they asked Jesus about, his, about God's will, he would point back to the Garden of Eden and say, if you want to know what God's will is, just look back at the Garden of Eden. So you go back to the Garden of Eden, and you find that everybody in the garden was in relationship with God. And so that, that was his will. That, that hasn't changed. Everyone in the garden was healthy. Everyone in the garden had all that they needed. That was God's will. That has not changed. What has changed is man's situation, but, but God has not changed. And so we talked about that. Well, when man was in the garden, one of the things that we talked about, and I put this verse there in your outline, it says, and the Lord commanded, the Lord God commanded man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you will eat, you shall sure, the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. So we, we went through that and we, we talked about how God says, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die, but we also noticed that God didn't say, in the day that you eat it, I will kill you. He, he didn't say that. He's just saying, this is just what happens when, when you eat that. And it was in that time that we used the illustration and we said, it's sort of like uh, you tell your kids, you say, you know, you, you shall not play football on I-95, because if you play football on I-95 in the day that you do that, you will surely get ran over. But you're not saying, if you play football on I-95, I'm going to run you over. You're just saying, this is just what happens when you play football on I-95. So far, so good? So, so we talked about that. Now, that, that was important um, because when we came to chapter three, everything will change. And, and so we, we talked about uh, two weeks ago that we're going to take a little bit more time going through chapter three because many people believe that chapter three of Genesis is the single most important chapter in the entire Bible. And, and for very good reason, because every doctrine that you and I hold to comes or begins in, in Genesis chapter three. So we've taken the last two weeks to go through Genesis three. We're gonna wrap it up today, I hope, and uh, then we're gonna move on. So this is gonna close out a section. So the last two weeks, we went through the first 15 verses 
And you'll recall that um, it was in the first six verses where the serpent comes to the woman and begins to deceive the woman. And we, we, we talked about that in, in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 3. The serpent said, For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so we, we talked about how the trick that Satan used to get the woman to eat the fruit was to convince her that although God said don't do this, that she'd be missing out if, if, she, didn't, if she didn't eat that. And uh, she eats, and of course it's a big mess. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have heard God say don't do that, but another voice comes along and says, but you're gonna be missing out if you don't do that. And, uh, and so we take that step and we do whatever that might be, and now it's a big mess. And uh, so we've all been there, we've all been there. So that's what he does. So he convinces her that she's gonna be missing out. But it turns into, well, you know, it's the fall, it's, it's a big mess. So the woman eats. And then at some point later on, we don't know how long, it could be 15 minutes, it could be an hour, we, we, we don't really know. She takes the fruit to Adam or Adam comes to her and uh, Adam looks on at her situation and Adam chooses to eat the fruit. And so last week, and I put this verse on your outline, last week we highlighted, and it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So last week we highlighted that the woman was deceived, but Adam made a choice. And so we talked about how Adam, as he sees Eve and he realizes what she has done, she has taken and she has eaten, she is now in a fallen state. And in that fallen state, that means that Adam, because he's not, they're going to be separated. And this would mean an eternal separation. So... Adam can't stand the idea of being eternally separated from Eve, so he makes the decision to eat and to step into her condition, and uh, we talked about that last week, and we elaborated on that, so I won't do that this this week. And uh, one thing we didn't say last week, I do want to say, is that in this chapter, she's going to be called the woman nine times, and that's going to be important as we go. But in verse seven of chapter three, they've both eaten. Then it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now, the the, the point that I want to make there is, is that when they eat, they realize that something is different. It's weird between them for the first time. And so, you know, they, they sew the fig leaves. Here's what doesn't happen. God doesn't say, you have eaten the fruit, I'm going to make you uncomfortable, embarrassed by your nakedness. That's not what's taking place. What's taking place is this is just the result, this is just what happens when they sin. Uh, Sin distorts nudity. So, So God hasn't decreed anything here. This is just the result of what has what they've what they've done. It's just the you know the the result. Well, we went through, God shows up and uh, finds out you know, what's going on. We talked about that last week, but then we came to verse 15. 
Now, in verse 15, we call this the proto-evangelium, which just means the first gospel. And uh, we, we highlighted that God here preaches the gospel to Satan, but he does it in the presence of, of the man and, and, and the woman. And so let me, let me read this here, verse 15, as, as we pick it up today. And it says, speaking to the, the serpent, God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And there's a lot there, but last week we highlighted that the solution is going to come eventually through what was, what was called the seed of the woman. She's going to have some children, and one of those children is going to be what we would say the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. Between your seed and her seed, and he, that seed is going to be a he, and he shall bruise, the word literally means to crush you on the head. And we talked about that word head, which can mean kingdom leadership, so he's going to destroy your kingdom, and you'll bruise him on the heel. So we, we talked about that. Now, one of the things that, that I, I do want to say here, which is a theme of the Bible, when man messes it up, God is always showing up to begin to put it back together. Um, has there ever been, I don't know if I want you to raise your hand or not, but has there ever been a time in your life, in your life where you have messed it up and God has shown up to begin to put it back together? You know, we, we've all been there. We've all been there. So that's going to be a theme of the Bible and, and important for, for what we're talking about uh, today and for the rest of Genesis. So here is where the plot thickens and, and why I have elaborated so much on, on what we've just said. But verse 16, uh, God turns to the woman and he says, to the woman he said, I will. How many of your Bibles have the word I will? Okay, we're going to talk about that. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So most of us have a translation where God says, I will, to the woman, multiply your pain in childbirth. What, what I want you to know is the I will there is not actually part of the Hebrew manuscript. You, you can look that up. That is part of your translator's viewpoint, but it doesn't actually say, I will. So if your translator has the view that this is what God is doing to man as the judgment, then your translation is going to say, I will. Um, other translators recognize that I will is not in the original manuscript. It's not part of the, the Hebrew manuscript. And they say it's not in the Hebrew manuscript and God's not saying this is what I'm doing to you. Uh, God is just saying here's the result of what it is that you have done. And so other translators recognize that I will is not in the manuscript and that God's just saying this is the result. So they will translate it very differently. They will translate it like this and I've placed this there on your outline. And so uh, the, the BBE, which is just Bible and basic English, just says it like this. To the woman, he said, great will be your pain in childbirth and in sorrow your children will come to birth. Still your desire will be for your husband 
and he will be your master. So when you take the I will out, which is not in the original manuscript, God isn't saying, I'm doing this to you. He's just saying, this is, this is the result uh, of what you've done. Just like in verse 7, when they recognized that they were naked and ashamed, uh, they, that was just the result. That wasn't something that God was doing to them. That's just the result of sin. That makes sense? So I just want you to be aware of that, that different translations based upon their perspective uh, will translate that differently, but the I will is not in the original manuscript. So does that mean you should throw away your, your translation? No, your translation is fine. I just, I'm just highlighting that so that you're aware that this isn't God saying, I'm doing this to you. This is just the result of what it is that you have done. And so he says, childbearing is going to hurt. Um, I guess some of you ladies could tell us if that's true, but, but it's going to hurt, but you're still going to have a desire for your husband. When he uses the word desire, you can also use that word uh, to say that you're going to want to rule over him. It's part of the desire, but he's going to rule over you. So that's, that's uh, that verse there. Well, then you come to verse 17, 17 through 19, and it says, then to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed, and I've underlined that cursed, is the ground because of you. So here, here's the curse. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles. Now, I've underlined the word thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, I've underlined the word sweat, of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. When it says you will return to the ground, it means that Adam one day is going to die, and he's going to go back to the ground. Because, it goes on, from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's two things in this that that jump out at us that I want to talk about just very quickly. But um, first of all, because of sin, you have the fall. And, And so one of the things that we're told, because there was sin, one of the results would be, and he says, thorns. Thorns weren't part of the creation. That came because of sin. Now, I would add to that gnats, houseflies, cockroaches. Those were not part of the creation. But the idea is after sin, something changed. And one of the things that changed was plants would now grow thorns. The other thing that jumps out at us is that there will be death. At a certain point, uh, Adam, you're going to die. You're going to go back to the ground. Prior to the fall, there was no death. So that's going to be important. So when Jesus comes, we would say the seed of the woman, he is going to take the curse upon himself as he pays the price to restore things back, at least spiritually speaking at this point. So you just notice that thorns are part of the curse. So what will Jesus wear on his head as he takes the curse upon himself? He'll take the thorns. He'll take the thorns. It'll be by the sweat of your brow. So what will Jesus sweat in the garden before he goes to the 
to the cross. He will sweat blood. Like Adam, he will go into the ground, but very differently, Jesus will come out of the ground. And so he will ultimately pay the price for us. So sin, sin brought thorns and sin brought death. Those two things did not exist until man sinned in the garden. So when God says there will be death and there will be, there will be thorns be, because of sin, the evolutionist in the church looks on at God and says, that is not true. You see, the evolutionist in the church holds that there was, however long ago, in the primordial ooze, there were all the right things that were in the right place and they came together and it created the first cell. And that first cell had the ability to take in energy and to remove waste and it also had the ability to reproduce itself, first cell. And so it began to reproduce itself and it would mutate, but that first cell, well, it died. And, and then it would reproduce, and then it would mutate, but then that generation would die. And then it would continue on mutating and reproducing and dying. And then ultimately, it separated into different species. And those species at times would eat other species, and they would die a horrible death, but they died. Nobody likes to be eaten alive. And so it would continue on mutating, reproducing, and dying. And so the evolutionist in the church when God says it, because of sin there will be death and thorns, the evolutionist in the church says that's not true. Death has just been part of the process. And so when God says there will be thorns, the evolutionist in the church says that's not true. That's just adaptation over thousands or millions of years. And uh, so the reason I say it like that, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but if you're here and you're an evolutionist in the church you really want to think that through. You really want to think that through. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7 when they come to Jesus and he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they go through the things that they did. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. Now, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. One way that you could look at that is they say, didn't we do this? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do this? They're pointing to all the things that they did. When it comes to salvation, it has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with what he did. And so they're pointing to the wrong thing. That's certainly a possibility. The other possibility could be that although they used the same words, they had very different definitions. And it turns out it could be that they were not actually worshiping the God of the Bible, but they had created another God, but it just wasn't the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is always the creator. To, to say that he's not the creator or that he brought it in by another process other than what he said is not actually the God of the Bible. You want to make sure that you are worshiping the God of the Bible who is always the creator. Does that make sense? So think that through. Think that through. Well, um, so going on. Um, Verse 20. So Adam has been listening to what's been going on, and uh, he heard in verse 15 when it talks about the woman 
and she will have a seed. She's going to give birth. And so in verse 20, it says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Adam hears the prophecy in verse 15. There's going to be a seed of the woman. Adam will believe God's promise, and we would say he believes the gospel because that was the gospel. And so go ahead and write this down. Adam believes the gospel message and begins to call the woman Eve, which just means the mother of all living. Actually, Eve, kavav, means life giver in the Hebrew. So for the prophecy to come true, um, Eve would have to have children. And so Adam believes that, so he just begins to call her Eve. Uh, It's interesting to note that Adam will begin to call her life giver or the mother of all living long before she ever gets pregnant. He just begins speaking what God says about his situation. This is how it's going to be. God has said it, so that's what I'm going to say. So you want to write this down. As a picture of spoken faith, Adam will no longer call her by her sex, which was woman, which was nine times in this chapter alone, he will now only call her by her destiny, which is going to be the mother of all living. So he begins calling her that long before she becomes a mommy. Adam will only say about his situation what God has said about his situation. As we go through Genesis, we're going to find that the way that you operate in faith is you begin to say what God says about your situation long before you see that taking place in your circumstances. And we'll talk about that throughout the book. Well, verse 21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There's a lot to, to talk about here Um, Hopefully I can get it uh, in a way that that communicates effectively, but where it says the Lord made garments, does everybody see that word garments? So typically what happens is when you see the pictures of Adam and Eve, they've been clothed with garments and they're leaving the Garden of Eden. They look like primitive cavemen. The, The word garments there just means robes. It means robes. So And and remember that God is the one making the robe. So God's not making caveman clothes for them to run out of the garden. These are robes. And so that's the first thing that, that we need to say. But it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God is not only making the skins, or the clothing, but he's also clothing them. So I want you to just write this down. As a picture of salvation, Adam and Eve could only receive what God provided and allow God to cover their shame. And there on your outline it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. When they made clothing out of fig leaves, it, it just, it, it wasn't adequate. That was their attempt to cover themselves. In, in the Bible, all pictures of salvation have to do with receiving what it is that God has done. Uh, what we bring to the table is, is never useful. It's never effective. It is interesting 
that in the Bible, clothing is often a picture of salvation. There on your outline, it says, my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. So, so God covers Adam and Eve and we notice it's with an animal skin. This will be the first time that Adam and Eve will see death firsthand. And all of a sudden it's going to hit them. This is what it really means. They'd heard about it, but they've never actually seen it. And so now they find out this is how serious sin is taken by God. There in your outline, in Leviticus, it'll say, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And then in Hebrews, it will say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this was going to be a constant reminder to them of the, of the result of sin. When it, when it talks about the, the blood making atonement, what's important to know is, is that this would go on until this one, the seed of the woman, would come and that he would give his blood. Now the way this works is that when the sacrifice was made, that didn't pay for the sin. That it, all it did was put off the judgment. It, it's sort of like this. Um, how many of you have ever heard of an interest-only loan? Three of you, good. So we're gonna go with that. So, so you have an interest-only loan. So what that means is that, let's say it's an interest-only loan and it's interest-only for this amount of time, but then you gotta make the full payment. You, you still owe the full amount. So the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament and here never actually paid, you might say, the mortgage or the principal. All it did was pay the interest, pay the interest. There would come a day when the, the person would have to make the full payment. So the idea was when they would sacrifice the animal, that was a reminder of, the, of, of how serious God takes it, but it was also a reminder that one day somebody was gonna have to make that full payment. And this is what that payment meant. It would mean death, and it's typically a, a very horrible thing. So when Jesus came as the sacrifice, that ends the animal sacrifices. We're no longer putting those off until there's that payment. So now, so now we receive his payment or that's the payment that awaits us. Either we accept his payment or, or we're gonna have to make that payment is the idea. So this would be a reminder to them of the seriousness of sin and, and it would put off and they would be waiting for that one who'd be the seed of the woman when he would arrive and he would make the payment. Right now, and let me just say it again, either we accept what he has done and his payment, or ultimately we will have to make that payment because that's how serious God takes it. Well, verses 22 through 24, it says, then the Lord God said, 
Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. We talked about the Trinity in Genesis chapter, chapter one. The us is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. When it says that God knows good and evil, he knows it cognitively, he's not done evil, but Adam and Eve, they know it experientially, they've done evil. And then it says, he might also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. When Adam sinned, that began decay. So the idea is that um, if Adam were to eat of the tree, as he got older and older, he would still be alive today, but have you ever seen somebody and they're over 100 years old and you just, they, their, their body's kind of unraveling? Can you imagine somebody who's 6,000 years old and they're still unraveling? Is unraveling a good word? I don't know the better word, but it's just the idea is that this is actually a gift for Adam because if he eats this, he's going to live forever. So therefore the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out from the east of the Garden of Eden and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And um, many suggest that it's not so much to keep Adam from coming back in but to protect that from the serpent who wants to get in there and wreak havoc with that. Um, did you at least find that interesting today? So here, here's, how, here's how I want to wrap this up today. You're created in the image of God, which means if, if you're a reasonable parent, there is nothing you wouldn't do for your child. Uh, many of you parents, you know the sacrifices that you've made to provide for your child and you've gone without so that they could have you get that from being created in the image of God. Well, but many of us, like Eve, have found ourselves uh, before God and uh, we've listened to Satan's voice as he told us that we were missing out and we listened to that voice and um, for many of us, we've made a real mess in our lives because we listen to the wrong voice. But then that same voice comes along to say, God doesn't really love you. He doesn't care about you. He's just trying to, to ruin your enjoyment, your fun. And, and the reality is, uh, if you're created in the image of God, parents, you know that your whole life has been trying to speak into your children's lives hopefully to miss some of the pitfalls that you've fallen into or the mistakes that you've made. And you're, you've never tried to ruin their life or their fun. You've just tried to protect them from the things that you see that, that are out there, uh, probably because of the things that you, know, you, you did earlier on. But you're created in the image of God, and so you care about those children. You're not trying to destroy their lives. So Satan comes along and he tells us that God's trying to keep us from something. And we listen to him. 
We make a mess out of our lives. But because we're created in the image of God, one of the things you know as a parent, when your kid makes a mess out of their life and they turn to you, mom, dad, help, you drop everything to go and do your best to fix the situation. Isn't that typically how it works? Here's what he wants you to know. Maybe you're here today and you've been listening to that voice that says God's just trying to keep you from all the good stuff that's out there. And uh, maybe you've listened to that voice and, and maybe you've made a mess in your life and now that voice is saying that God doesn't love you. Well, here's what God wants you to know. You're created in the image of God. He loves you just like you would love your children. He'll drop everything to be there for you. And what we see in this chapter and through the whole Bible is that when man makes a mess, God shows up with the solution to begin to put things back together. The first step is to accept, as Adam and Eve did, they confessed what they had done, which is fine, And then God creates the solution and creates the clothing and they receive that. They receive that. So God, we would say the seed of the woman, 2,000 years ago came and paid the price for everything that you've ever done, everything that you ever will do. He paid that price. And his desire is to step into your life. And hopefully, as you allow him in, to begin to steer away from the things that were destroying your life. But he won't force it. He won't force it. So if you want that today, if you're looking, say, I've been listening to the wrong voice uh, and, and, and I'm, I have a mess, then he would love to be able to step in and begin to fix And the the way that you do that very simply is you just simply invite him in. Parents being created in the image of God, if your child did something bad and they made a mess of their life, what ritual would they have to go through to get your attention? Would they just have to say, help? Would that be enough? Would they have to burn some candles? Would they have to give you money? What would they need to do? It comes down, all they have to do is say, help, and you'd show up. So that's, that's how it works. He's paid the price. He wants to step in, just like you parents want to step into your children's lives if they will let you and begin to work and, and turn the life around. So as I, as I close in prayer today, If that's you today, I want you to know, and more importantly than I want you to know, he wants you to know that he wants to step into your life. He is the solution. It's very simple. It's saying help. And we just simply say, Jesus, come into my life. You know what I've done. Thank you for forgiving me of all I've done. I want to follow you. And he says, if you do that, he'll step in and he never leaves. So would you join me in prayer right now? Father, as we close this today, I pray that 
uh, for those of us maybe hearing for the first time that we're created in your image and there's so much that we can know about you by looking at ourselves. And as parents, we know if our children mess up, when they're ready, we wanna be there. And our goal has never been to ruin their fun, but to save them from disasters. And so we look to you and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Give me your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. Step into my life. And help me to follow you. And his word says that he'll never leave if you invite him in that way. But I'm going to ask, if you've done that today, let someone know that you've made that decision so that we can help you in your walk with the Lord as you go, fo- as you go forward. Father, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.